you would please open in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, if you stand, I'll be reading verses 7 through 16. Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 16, as we continue in our discussion of shepherds and sheep and really begin to focus uh, this morning strongly on the work of the sheep. How How does the flock cause the church to be strong and deep? Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also. He who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming, but... Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Please be seated. Now, last week I talked about one of my favorite church events. That was Underground Church. And I have to say, I misspoke by saying that we had 75 leaders helping. It was actually more like 90 Well, this weekend, we had an event that was perhaps even more dear to my heart, and that is a church wedding. Laura Goggins and Yo Agawa were married, and they did so under the auspices of the local church, this local church, Grace Community. And in a society that hates and spurns marriage, despises the public commendation and commemoration of male-female roles, a church marriage is one of the most powerful testimonies to the glory and beauty of Christ and the church's relationship to Christ as his bride. However, it's not only that picture, the picture that marriage presents that is so powerful, but it is also the coming together of the body of Christ to celebrate and to affirm that picture. What a joy it was to see so many from the church investing in the success of the marriage and of the ceremony itself. From marriage preparations to the rehearsal dinner, venue setup, the ceremony and reception, and then that all-important cleanup, members of the church played an active and vital role. Uh, Church literally swept in and transformed the outdoor venue into a wedding bower. Then 70 or 80 church members swarmed around the site and almost as miraculously turned it back into the public park that it had been the day before. By the very nature of our church, everyone can't come to these events. We just have too many people. There just isn't room. However, part of the sweetness of this event was that at its core, it was powered by one of our fellowship groups, which serve a primary function in the church to provide care and encouragement for each member. This is one aspect of the one another's that are commanded of us in Scripture, and an exercise of using the unique giftedness that God has granted to each one. It was part of the hundreds, if not thousands, of acts of service that go on in and through Grace Community Church each week. Now, all this ministry and service is joyful, but there is still more to be done if we are to truly reach the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. It's vital that we continually remind ourselves that the purpose of the church is not to come together to feed off of each other. It is to come together to provide nourishment for one another. When each member of the church pours out their life in sacrificial service based on the proper equipping from the word of God, then the church becomes healthy enough to make a proper impact on a dark and desperate world. What we'll see this morning is that godly shepherds are to equip and oversee the flock so that every member of the body faithfully exercises their gifts, for only then can the whole body properly grow to maturity in Christ. Godly shepherds are to equip and oversee the flock so that every member of the body faithfully exercises their gifts, for only then can the whole body properly grow to maturity in Christ. Faithful shepherds produce an equipped flock, which produces a mature church. Now, we've already discussed the nature of the gifts as we began in verse 7, looking at the gifts really purchased one for us by Christ in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. He then showers upon his church the gifts necessary for him to look great, 
And that's what we always need to remember. These gifts are not for us in that sense. They are given to us, but they are given so that we might make Christ look great, both individually, but also corporately. He is to fill. He will fill all things. We have the precious privilege of being used of him to demonstrate his greatness and to see that work accomplished that he left for us to do. So we saw the giving of the gifts and we saw the giving of gifted men to the church, that it is essential that the body of Christ is not simply kind of randomly use its gifts with no pattern at all, but that there are gifted men who direct the use of those gifts so that everyone is properly equipped and that those gifts go forth in a way that, that truly demonstrates the greatness and the power of Christ. So we saw the gifts, we saw the gifted men, and then particularly we've been looking at the gift of elders, the pastor teachers who shepherd the flock, who are to preach and teach the word, who are to pray in such a manner that the church is actually equipped. And then last week, we looked at the really that work of equipping, how we equip the saints. We studied the process, the purpose, and the goal of equipping. And we discovered that the goal of equipping is nothing less than the fullness of Christ, which then also results in freedom from error. This morning, we will look into the word to see the work by which the church grows, the, the work that the sheep do, so that the growth of the body into Christ and the growth of the body out from Christ will fully express the beauty and power of Christ. So let's begin with the growth of the body into Christ. And in verse 15, we have a really a turning point, really a contrast, where Paul says, but. So he's been just speaking of the nature of the equipping of the saints, but most specifically of the fact that they are not to listen to error. There are those out there, verse 15 or verse 14, who speak lies, who do not speak the truth, and by the trickery of men and craftiness and deceitful scheming, they seek to draw the church away from Christ, to really tear down the equipping that the, that the elders are supposed to be producing or, or providing for. So the elders are equipping the churches to be responding, and when they do, they're not fooled by the craftiness of deceitful men. And yet, it is not sufficient, again, that only the elders are doing this equipping, or only the elders are involved in speaking the truth. As we will see now, it is necessary for the entire church to speak truth. As the elders prepare and equip the saints, they also then speak the truth to one another and to the world in a way that enables Christ to be exalted. And that's why verse 15 says, but speaking the truth in love. So instead of listening to men and their craftiness and their deceitful scheming, the church instead does just the opposite. They don't listen to foolishness and error. They speak truth. And this is unfortunately where the church is often so very weak is that the church, the individual members of it, the, the body of Christ, both corporately and individually, does not, is not careful enough to speak the truth. We are to have the maturity necessary to speak what is true and right. However, as we will see in our text, truth is not properly spoken unless it is also properly lived and properly communicated in love. These characteristics must accompany each church, if we are to grow in maturity. So let's look first at growth through speaking. How does the church, how is it built up? Well, the members of the church speak the truth. So we grow through speaking the truth in love. Now, it's interesting, this word, speaking the truth, it's actually just one word. It's kind of a, a verb and a noun kind of stuffed together, a participle, and it's relatively unusual. It's only used one other time, Galatians 4.16 Paul uses it again, and he says, so have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? But because it's presented in this way, it seems like this word is to embody more than just simply speaking. It seems as though what's bound up in this word, this active word, this speaking the truth, is really a confession of the truth. That is, we are purposed to both live and speak in a truthful way. We are perhaps truthing in love. Everything we do is a reflection of the truth, not only our speech. We must speak what is true, but we also live what is true. And that seems to be bound up in what the Apostle Paul is saying. You, you're being equipped, the apostles, then prophets who write the New Testament, and then the evangelists and pastors and teachers who speak that forth. You're being equipped in the truth, and therefore you, as the congregation, must both speak that truth and live it out. Everything you do is saturated with the truth. That's the idea. Every thought, every word, every motivation, every action, everything you do is driven by and saturated with the truth. That's who we are as believers. 
We are not fooled by unrighteousness and sin because we are saturated in the truth. And we must speak that truth and live that truth out to one another. This really is a contrast to verse 14, where the entire mindset and conduct of worldly men is to trick and deceive through crafty schemes. The world is full of lies. Satan is the father of lies. Therefore, the church is to be the promoter of the champion of truth. In fact, we know that the church is the pillar of the truth from 1 Timothy 3.15. But in case I am delayed, Paul says, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. What do we do? We speak truth, live truth, promote truth, challenge in the truth. Everything we do is to be true, and the sweetness of this is that we serve the God who is true. Everything he is, everything he says, every characteristic of his is perfectly true. And the world has entirely lost what truth is. In our day and age, one person can say a particular, give a particular statement. Someone can say the exact opposite statement and people will say, they're both true. That's your truth. You believe that? This is my truth. There is no such thing as your truth and my truth. There is only truth. God's truth. Everything is related to his truth. And no truth is properly expressed if it is not connected back to the God from whom it originates. Even bare facts are not truth until they are properly related to God. We understand that the world exists. We see the mountains and we see the material aspects of it as we sit in chairs and drive cars. But just the bare fact of the existence of the world is not sufficient truth. We do not proclaim to the world that it exists or that there, there is a creation out there. We tie everything back to the God who created. Every aspect of truth flows from the character and nature of God and must be given back to him. Romans chapter 11 is clear. Everything is from him, through him, back to him. Every fact in the universe is based in the truth of God. Every scientific fact, every mental fact, everything that is true in the world must be related back to God for it comes from him if it is true. And that's what the church does. In every way we proclaim, we speak this truth. We communicate it. We confess it. We are not drawn away by the trickery of men. And the world hates this. It has always been so. This is not something that is new, that the world hates truth. Satan hates truth. And so from the very moment of the, of the, of the creation of the world, he was seeking to speak lies. And immediately in the garden, what does he do? He challenges the primary truth we have been given, which is the truth of the word of God. What God says directly, Satan says, did God really say that? And if he did say that, did he forget, as it were, to tell you this? He lied to you. Satan directly speaks this in the garden to Eve. God lied to you. And you need to understand that you buy that lie, the lie of Satan, any time that you do not fully embrace everything that is written in the word of God. It's why we have pastor teachers who preach and teach the truth, not their own opinion. You can feel free to disagree with me, but you may not disagree with the word of God. It is his truth. Satan's primary lie is to say that God has lied to you, and the world has bought it hook, line, and sinker, that, the, that God has somehow lied to us about gender, that God has lied to us about the nature of the creation of the world, that God has lied to us about human beings, are, how they are to conduct themselves, that God has lied to us about how human beings conduct their sexuality. In every way, the world has said, God is lying to you, because that is driven by the evil one himself. For he knows that the glory of God is stolen from any time anyone says or lives something that isn't completely true. Paul says in Galatians 4.16, to the very church that he was trying to shepherd and encourage, he tells them, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? And I would ask that this morning. Is there any place where there's this essence of either God or some person in your life who is speaking truth to you where they have become your enemy because they told you what is true? And you know how that works. If you do not desire to live the truth, if there is some part of your life that you want to keep secret, some passion that you desire to pursue, and someone speaks the truth to you, you begin to hate them. 
You begin to cut them off out of your life, and when they present that truth, you want to set them aside because that truth challenges your world. The truth challenges your lie in whatever it is, thinking, action, attitude, motivation. What a travesty it would be if others became your enemy because they told you the truth. Well, the church does this all the time. This is what we do. We tell the truth. 1 Timothy 4, 6, Paul says, And pointing these things out to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound teaching that you have followed. That's the truth. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, You cannot avoid being carried about by every wind of doctrine unless you have a standard of judgment. You cannot hold on to something which is amorphous. You cannot lay hold of something which is nebulous and vague and indefinite as the wind which blows in all directions. And this is how Satan would deceive the church. And everything would be kind of vague and we wouldn't make any strong stands on any particular thing because that might alienate us from the culture. Well, truth alienates from lies. The culture is built on lies because that's how Satan has woven it together. The popular culture will always be a reflection of whatever combination of lies most appeals to that particular generation. Satan is a master at this. He manipulates the world in such a way that it reflects his lies in the sweetest possible way to the unbelieving ear. So we are to speak the truth. But there's more than that. Because some of you are sitting here this morning going, yes, that's what we do. We speak the truth. And we get on Twitter and we walk out there, you know, when we get ourselves out there on Facebook and we just hammer. I mean, the words that are used today... You know, we owned that man. We, we destroyed that guy. We, you know, you hear all of these things through our words, right? Some of you are like, oh, yes, you're, you're preaching my language. We speak the truth. But there's more to this text, so let's go back. Paul says, speaking the truth in love. And, and some of you immediately get nervous. Or are you gonna, are you gonna, you're gonna, get, all, gonna get all emotional on us here? You're gonna get all touchy-feely? You know, I can't really speak the truth because it's loving. no. Love does nothing to change the truth, right? Love and truth are not opposites. Like, you know, I speak the truth, and then well, I got I to gotta somehow, I got to you know, make sure that the truth doesn't get too strong, and so I bring some love. No, they have to go together. You can't really separate them. If you are speaking bare facts, even bare facts about God without love, it is really less than the fullness of the truth. Truth is to be spoken in Love, and yet love, as we understand it in the full-orbed nature and its robust nature as it flows from the character of God, is certainly much more than flowery emotion or things we're simply driven by to make people feel good. The problem or the reason that we get nervous about the word love is because we do not understand it. We properly, improperly define love, and so therefore it bothers us when people say, well, God is love. You know, like, what does that, again, does it mean he just has feelings for the world? No, it means he properly at all times relates to the world in love. God is love. So what does this mean? This is the word agape, right? That word that is really, is, is indicative of the character of love which flows from God, but we need to understand the definition. Love is the Holy Spirit-empowered affection for people which causes us to delight in fulfilling every command of God's word in order to see others walking in right relationship with God. This is done without any thought of how we might benefit, of anything that we might receive in return, and it is done regardless of the perceived desirability of the object. You love regardless of how lovable people are. You love by continually telling them the truth, the principles of the word of God, and you sacrifice yourself for their highest good, What is the highest good of anyone at any time in the world? Their highest good is that they would be rightly related to God and being conformed to the image of Christ. That is everyone's highest good at any moment of history. Now, there are other things we do for them that that love entails. We might feed them. We might come alongside and, 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 and comfort them. We might sit with them and talk with them. All of that is true, but it's all built around this fundamental driving principle that love seeks the highest good of another and that that highest good is always found in being rightly related to God. That's how God loves. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, sacrificial that which was most valuable, but not only sacrifice. Love goes far beyond sacrifice. The world will tell you that love is sacrifice. Of course they will. They'll tell you that it's more than emotion, even though in most of their songs they don't write it. If you sit down with someone in the world and you say, what is love? Somewhere along the lines, most likely they will tell you it would involve sacrifice. But 
What is sacrificed for becomes the primary issue in love. It is much more than simply sacrifice. And people are saying, well, you ought to sacrifice for me. You ought to give to me. You ought to give for me. That's what love does. If I want to be a certain way, if I want to do a certain thing, you sacrifice so that you will love me and let me do what I want. Well, the issue is, what do you sacrifice for? Well, back to John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. What's the issue? A right relationship with God. John 17 is clear. Eternal life is much more than just living forever. Eternal life is that they may know you. And Jesus has had me, the one whom you have sent. That's eternal life. To know God, to be rightly related to God, to be conformed to the image of Christ as the means of bringing glory to God. And that's the love that we have for the world. It's an affectional love. It's one where we desire, we delight in others, and this is built by the Spirit of God. You can't delight in others unless the Spirit of God builds that within you. Even as God loves the world, we love the world as well, and we desire to sacrifice for them. And that love is most specifically and purely shown in the love of believers for one another. It begins there. Jesus said this over and over. You can't just emote out towards the world or even have a proper biblical love towards the world unless you're loving each other. And the world will first see your love in your love for the Lord Jesus and then in your love for each other. And then they will say, that's different. We don't know what that is. A strong, robust, godly love where people are laying down their lives for one another regardless of how desirable they are, not looking for anything in return so that everyone around them will look like Jesus. That's what this church is doing all the time. We are speaking the truth because that's the only vehicle by which people can change or be rightly related to God. Truth is the necessary vehicle to look like Jesus, and then we are laying our lives down, giving our lives in every possible venue, in every way, so that others around us take on the image of Christ. And the world looks at that and says, we have no idea what that is. Now, for some, for most in the world, it infuriates them. They Hate it because everything that the church is and everything the church does in love and in truth violates what the world thinks is important, their pleasures, their desires. Godly love is the opposite of worldly love. It is not just another reflection of it. Worldly love is inherently selfish and sinful. And in fact, the Bible is clear that no unbeliever can truly love. If you define love as affection, if you define love as sacrifice, the world can do that but they cannot sacrifice for the purpose of seeing others look like Jesus. No unbeliever ever in the history of the world wanted someone else to look like Jesus. It's impossible. Unbelievers cannot love Jesus to the point that they would long and give their lives for other people to look like him. It is impossible because only the Spirit of God, having transformed the heart, can provide the necessary resources that you would want anyone to look like Jesus, that you would see that he is that valuable. Only the Spirit of God, opening the eyes of the heart through the principles of the Word of God, enables you to love. And so we speak truth in love. Truth is not a battering ram. We do not use the truth to batter people into submission, even false teachers and deceivers. We are motivated by love in all confrontations and presentations. It doesn't mean that love doesn't speak strong words. Jesus loved the Pharisees. He could do no less, and he came at them strongly. But when you speak the truth in love, you are always properly oriented and directed towards the ones you are speaking to, so that truth comes out in proper tone and in proper timing. That's how love drives the truth because you long to do that which is best to help someone else be drawn towards it. If that means a strong presentation where you're in their face, you whitewash tombs, that happens. More often, particularly in the church, it is as you come and say, this is what God has said. How can I help you live this out? And you, you, you use Ephesians 4.29 as your, as your model for speech. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. To be used of God, to speak the truth in love is to be a conduit of God's grace pouring out his words and his truth and his actions into the lives of other people. Paul says, look, that's the work of the congregation. You are equipping the saints to speak the truth, to really speak, live, act, to speak the truth in love. And certainly love is much more than niceness. The world wants everyone just to be nice to each other. 
so that we can pursue our own desires in peace and quiet, as though that were possible. How can you possibly have everyone in the world pursuing their own desires and everyone stays nice? The world seems so, so surprised when, when people erupt in violence and anger towards one another using whatever particular implements they may happen to have around. It is not the implements used that indicate the nature of the violence. It is the human heart that will use any instrument to bring violence. The stronger the instrument, the human heart will use that as well. The meaning of true love is a robust, manly, courageous, biblical love. Martin Lloyd-Jones again. To put life or spirit or niceness or anything else before truth is to deny essential New Testament teaching. In addition, it is to contradict the apostle's solemn warning in verse 14. There has to be truth. It is to set ourselves in the modern mind and the 20th century man as the authority rather than the apostle Paul and all others whom the Lord has set in the church to warn us against and to save us from this attitude which dislikes discrimination and judgment. So the world says, look, we don't want you to hold to the truth. We want love to us means that you stop telling us true things and you just, you just accommodate everything we believe. But Jones goes on to say, holding the truth in love does not mean a vague, flabby, sentimental notion of niceness and fellowship and brotherhood. It is 1 Corinthians 16, 13. The precious privilege of spending the weekend, Friday night and Saturday morning at, at Crossway Bible Church, planted from this church 10 years ago, right? And something we look ahead to say, this is what we would love for our church plan as we head that, that towards North Knoxville. So we want them to look like a growing, vibrant, strong church imp- impacting its community. And they asked me to come and speak on manhood. And, I was, and, and so I used 1 Corinthians 16, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let everything you do be done in love. This is what we do. We pour out our lives and we live this strong, truthful love, speaking it to the world and living it before the world. John MacArthur. It is possible only for the believer who is thoroughly equipped in sound doctrine and in spiritual maturity to speak the truth in love in this way. For the immature believer, right doctrine can be no more than cold orthodoxy and love can be no more than sentimentality. Only the mature man The man who is growing up to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ is consistent in having sufficient wisdom to understand God's truth and effectively present it to others. Still MacArthur, only he has the continual humility and grace to present the truth in love and in power. The combination of truth and love counteracts the two greatest threats to ministry, lack of truth and lack of true biblical compassion. Love an essential part of how we present the truth. And when we do this well, the world will, be, will see that God is great, even if they do not appreciate that. Again, I think the Apostle Paul sets the, the greatest possible example here. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians 2, and just when we're considering what it looks like to speak the truth in love, I don't think there's, there's almost no better example of this, again, than simply looking at the Lord Jesus himself. His entire life is speaking the truth in love. That's why we go through a gospel. Because every, on every word, on every page, is demonstrating this reality to us. But in 1 Thessalonians, as the Apostle Paul really writes back to his precious church, he reminds them of what truth in speaking the truth in love looks like. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 7. But we proved to be... And by the way, let's go, go with verse 6. Nor do we see glory from men, either from you or from others... Even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. It's like we were apostles. They were part of some of those gifted men that were given to the church to speak that truth. He goes, we could have asserted our authority, but we proved to be gentle among you. As a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. So don't use the apostle Paul as your battering ram. Well, apostle Paul was strong. He spoke truth. And so therefore I can just run people over with the truth. You need to read all of the New Testament. And you need to read this verse here. We prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. There is no more gentle picture than that. As a mother cradles the child and nurses that child, warming and feeding it, that's the picture given here. That's how the Apostle Paul was treating this church, and that's how we are to treat one another. Is that how you present the truth? In a way which, which is gentle and kind, never using force that is greater than is necessary, always doing this at verse 8, having so fond an affection for you. Can you say that? You don't have to have a deep relationship with everyone in this church to have a fond affection for them. The Apostle Paul didn't know the Thessalonians for very long. 
a couple of weeks at least, probably a little bit more. And yet because the love of God was flowing through his heart, he had a fond affection for them. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you, and I read this verse last week, not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Verse 10, you are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you believers. The truth lived and spoken. Verse 11, just as you know, how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. So you have the mother example to warm, to care, to be tender. You have the father example to exhort and to spur on to good deeds, all of that flowing out of love. Verse 12, what's the purpose? So that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. That's why we do what we do. You don't do it for your own agenda. You don't do it to simply make provision for your family. You don't do it to feel good about yourself. You do this so that others will be conformed to the image of Christ, walking properly in the kingdom of God. So we grow through speaking. We speak the truth, and we speak the truth in love. This is our passion. Because, really number two, we are to grow up in everything. There's no aspect of our Christian life in which we are not to grow, and no aspect in our corporate Christian life in which we are not to exhibit the maturity of Christ. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head. There is no part of our lives which is not to be saturated with the truth in love. You may not have little pieces of your life that you hold yourself. Well, I know the truth here, and I know the truth here, and I'll be loving here, but not here. I'm bitter and angry here, so I won't be loving Right? I, I want to hold on to this particular pet doctrine of mine or this particular thing that, that is, is untrue. I want to hold that, so I'll keep that no, in all aspects. If a body is growing, it is only healthy if all the parts are growing together, as we will see. If a piece of your body stops growing, it's a really serious problem. It will lead to the need for surgery and maybe even lead to the death of that physical body if all of the body's not growing together. In every aspect, the body is to grow. We don't want some kind of horrible monstrosity. This body, this body just speaks. That's all we do. We got lots of teachers, lots of people that will preach, lots of people that want to teach the Word of God. We're just one big mouth. That's, that's an unhealthy body. As we continue on in 1 Corinthians, when we get back there, we'll see that every part of the body, even those parts that are less visible, less seemingly necessary, are all vital. If your spleen does not grow, if your heart and liver are not working, if it's not all functioning together, the body will be deficient. We want to grow up in all aspects. Therefore, we speak every bit of the truth that the Bible gives to us, and we speak it all the time, in every way, in every place, in love. And when we don't, we fail. And when we don't, the body is harmed. And when we don't, we are not growing up together in all aspects. The totality of Christian character with no part missing, and we are to grow up. It's really fascinating. Just, he's cycling back and forth through various words, various metaphors. Even in this particular, these two verses, there's the body metaphor of a, of a human body growing. We'll see in verse 16, there's, a, there's a, a building metaphor of things being fitted together. He's just throwing all the metaphors together because it all fits. When you are building things, they have to fit together to work. And when you are building them, you have to be building all at the same time. You can't just say, well, we'll build the one wall and then we'll build the roof. Well, that's not going to work. You have to have all the walls. All right, well, we're going to put all the plumbing in, but we're then not going to close up the wall. So we just, all the pipes are there. Every part needs to be carefully designed so that it is all growing up together. That's why the elders are overseeing, so that all of these parts are properly working, so that in all aspects we are growing up. And you have someone who's analyzing, is this body in some way misshapen? Are we some kind of hulk, some kind of monstrosity that has certain pieces that are working well, but there's entirely other parts of the body that are underdeveloped. That means we will not be effective. So there are those who are overseeing this under the shepherding of Christ and then helping the body grow up in all aspects. And you are part of that. It's impossible for the body to grow unless you are speaking the truth in love. This is not speaking simply of the elders. They are to speak the truth in love. But so are you. And you really are carrying that to every part of the congregation. When you sit down and are having fellowship over dinner, you ought to be speaking the truth in love. 
When you're out at the park having a play date with, with uh, all of the little kids that, that are there, you ought to be speaking the truth in love. doesn't mean you have to speak Bible verses all the time. Even when you talk about your enjoyment and your fun and the things that you are watching and the good gifts that God has given, all of that is to be spoken of truthfully and lovingly not foolishly presenting your own opinions, not harshly criticizing where you ought to be carefully encouraging, not bringing your own brand of Christianity to bear. Well, you know, now we're not in the pulpit anymore, so, you know, we're not on a Sunday morning, so let me me give you the little tweak on Christianity that I think is most important. That's not what you're there for. You're there to speak the truth in love. You're there to take these truths and pour them out into the lives of others, and we do that in every place. We do not want to star in a horror film. We don't want to have overdeveloped mouths and miniature legs. We want to be sure that we are longing for the word in every aspect. First Peter 2, 2, like newborn babies. We long for the pure milk of the word so that by it we may grow in respect to salvation. When that little baby is sucking down that milk, it is growing. The, it, the purpose of the body is to grow in every way. The, the baby has to grow together. And that's a positive presentation there of milk. That's not a negative connotation. The body is to long to take this pure milk in, its, in, in the way that it causes us to grow. That's the picture there. Milk is what enables the little baby to grow properly. And we are to grow properly in all aspects. We're not to stagnate, but we are to serve. Again, MacArthur, the spiritually equipped church whose members are sound in doctrine and mature in their thinking and living is a church that will reach out in love to proclaim the saving gospel God does not give us knowledge, understanding, gifts, and maturity to keep, but to share. He does not equip us to stagnate, but to serve. We're not gifted and edified in order to be complacent and self-satisfied, but in order to do the Lord's work of service and building up and expanding the body of Christ. So while we do all of this here for this local body, Grace Community Church, we're then also seeking to expand that out. It's why we plant a church. So we can say, look, the health that is here needs to be extended somewhere else. And so if we're truly loving the world, we want to we take our healthiness and seek to see it transplanted somewhere else, which means healthy people have to go. That's the idea. You can't have a sickly transplant. The body has to be healthy every place where it is planted, and this is what we do. So we grow up ourselves. We grow up as this local body, but then remember... The universal church is in mind. That is, local bodies are to think about other local bodies, really all the local bodies in the world. We have to keep that in mind. So we grow in all aspects, and we grow into Christ. This is a fascinating metaphor. That is, it's as though we are clinging ever more carefully to him, as though the body were connected ever more carefully to the head. It's like it's, it's getting loose. Got some, some tendons severed in the neck, and the body's starting to hang loose off of the head. What a horrible picture that would be, kind of halfway decapitated. No, the goal is that we would be carefully, tightly connected to the head at all times. Christ is our head. He is the source of all of our knowledge, the source of all of our power, the source of our strength, the source of our encouragement, as the head is for the rest of the body. It drives everything. No head, no nothing. It's a useless mass of arms and legs and tendons that are accomplishing nothing. We grow up into the head, even Christ. That is, he is the only head. We grow up into the head who is Christ. He is the goal, the source, the sustainer, and the ruler. As head, Christ is both the leader of the church and the one who nourishes and supplies all that the body needs for growth. Christ is not simply the originator of the church. He is actively involved in stimulating and directing the ministry of the church, as well as providing the church with all it needs to develop and reach maturity. Ephesians 1.22. He, God, put all things in subjection under his, Christ's feet, and gave him Christ as head over all things to the church. Colossians 1.18. He is also head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. That's a sweet verse. And they're all sweet. <laughs> that, that he would come to have first place in, and that's the goal. Christ is to be first. That's what it means. He's the head. You connect to him. Everything goes back to him. The leadership of the church points to Christ, not themselves. As they equip you, you are to be delighting in Christ, not them in that sense. Appreciating and certainly loving your leaders, but you love them as they point you to Jesus. And if they don't, you shouldn't love them. We're pointing to the head. We're growing up into Christ who is the head. And we grip tightly to him. We are consumed with Christ. We abide in him. That's the way Jesus put it. We abide in Christ. We are connected to the head in every way. There's no no vein, no nerve 
ending, nothing that is missing in that proper connection. Well, that's the growth of the body into Christ, but now, fascinatingly, the metaphor switches. So we grow into him, tightly connected to the head, but now we have the switching of the picture, really switching of direction, where he says everything flows out of Christ as well. Everything flows into him. All that we do is purposed to make Christ look great, to be tightly connected to him, but then from him, out of the head, flow everything necessary to make the body healthy. The growth of the body from Christ is B. Verse 16, from whom? Right, so we grow up in all things into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom? The whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies causes the growth, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So everything flows out of Christ. As we cling tightly to Christ and desire to look more like Christ, he is the one who provides the resources and guidance necessary to properly grow into his likeness. So every part of the body is necessary. There's a, he presents in verse 16, from whom the whole body, right? And then, and then he really, there's a, he makes a, there's a comma there and there's a whole clause, a phrase that talks about the body but really, we go from the beginning of verse 16, from whom the whole body causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. All that in between is what the body's doing, but that's the picture of the grammar here. The whole body is involved in doing what? Causing the whole body to grow, and all of that comes from Christ. So that's the idea. Every hand on deck, every part of the body necessary, every aspect of the building carefully formed so that the body grows. The body will only grow in a healthy manner when all of the parts of the body are involved. That's the grammar. And all of that comes from Christ as we're tightly connected to him and then we are flowing, all of our strength and wisdom are flowing from him. So every part of the body is necessary. Clinton Arnold says, the end result is a dynamic image of the individual members of the body receiving nourishment from Christ and they in turn serving the other parts of the body with, strength, with the strength and grace that they have received from Christ. So number two is every part of the body must work together. Of course, that only makes sense. You can't all be doing your own thing if you are to cause the growth of the whole body. You're like, well, I like my ministry. I like what I'm doing. I'll build my little kingdom here. This is what I do. And we'll make sure nobody else gets in this little kingdom. And we'll make sure that I get to control my little kingdom. And my area of ministry is the most important thing in the church. It's not. God has given that to you your area of giftedness he is using, but you are to be sure that you are carefully keeping an eye to everyone else who is also supposed to be using their gifts and you are helping them do that. It's not just what the elders do. We help with that. We try to direct and guide, and that will be next week. I promise that would be this week, but that's next week. Where we look at all the practical aspects of the ministry and say, look, this is, what, this is how we're helping you do this. But each of you is to be involved in that because it says that they are being fitted Together, again, back in our text, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. Again, there's kind of a combination of the building and the body metaphor. The fitted and held together is really a, a building term. Everything's carefully structured in the building. It's all fitted together. The nails are put in properly. The, it's properly connected to the foundation. But then he uses the, the idea of joints and ligaments the, uh, back to the, the physical body that you are connected, all the connection points in your body have, a, have special structures that hold them together. If you don't have the joints and ligaments, your legs fall off at the knees. Right? Your, your arms fall off at the forearm. Your hands fall off at the, at the wrist. You have to have the proper connecting pieces. Otherwise, the body falls apart. So you have to be fitted together. So each of you fit together beautifully to form one body. But if there is a problem at the fitting points... That is, you are not fitting together, then the body begins to blow apart. The building begins to fall. And so we have to be carefully and properly fitted together. And that's why God gives gifts. We are fitted together. We just have to live that out. It's not like you have to create that. Well, how am I going to fit? You have been given a spiritual gift by which you fit. It is absolutely guaranteed that you fit with this body. I hear people say this. Well, I'm, you know, I don't think I should be part of this body. Well, if this body is sinning and, and you know, we're disqualified, I get that. Otherwise, there's no excuse for saying, well, I don't somehow fit. What you mean by that generally is emotional, and we don't like the people here very much. They didn't respond to us very well. People write me emails, you know, this is a, occasionally it's a mean church, and you know, very occasionally if I know the person, I'll write back and say, well, you're kind of a mean guy. So, I actually had somebody respond to me back and said, you're actually right, sorry. <laughs> you're, I'm kind of mean. I, so I, mean, I feel the church is kind of mean, so I'm just going to have to deal with mine, and the church can deal with them. That's not everybody. I don't write everybody like that. But. Because who are you? Yeah, you don't fit to the body because there's a certain thing you expect. 
that isn't necessarily spiritual at all. You're called to fit to the body. And if you are in a local body that is, not a, that is, that is a true body with elders that teaches the word, that has church discipline, that lives out to one another's, then you do fit. And it has nothing to do with your emotions. Nothing. I know people should reach out to you. I know they ought to care for you more. I understand all of that. But the issue is you do fit because you have been given a spiritual gift. It's only if you weren't given a spiritual gift because that's how you're fitted. You are fitted together by Christ so that the body is proper. And don't think that Christ somehow made a mistake. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, you're not fit for that body. Sorry, your pieces don't fit. There's too many knees already. And that's where the metaphor breaks down. Because every part of the body is necessary and, and it doesn't fit, you know, doesn't relate to exactly some kind of physical characteristic of a body, but that we are to fit together carefully because Christ has crafted us to fit together and the word of God then flowing through us out of the giftedness or, or through the giftedness God has given us, fit us together. It's like a Gen- Jenga game. You know, when the, when the whole, you know, whole tower is there, everything's working great, start pulling pieces out of it, what happens? It starts to totter. You pull that one piece out. I wonder if it seems to me if, I'm sure Satan doesn't use illustrations like this, but I wonder if he sits around with his demons and goes, it's a great illustration. Let's just keep pulling pieces. And I wonder if you'll get to pull the piece that will cause that church to fall. And the demons are kind of fighting for that, that privilege. No, I, I want to get the next turn. And when I pull that one, it's all going down. Oh, it didn't happen. So this next guy will try. What a horrible thought, right? That, that we would allow that to happen, that somehow we would pull you and then the church fall, this particular local body. He, he cannot destroy the church triumphant, but he certainly can and does and will destroy individual local churches, and he will make them less effective because he pulls your peace out. Because of your sin, because of ways that the body itself wasn't healthy to try to minister to you, I understand that as well. In Lego construction, did a lot of Lego construction when my son was growing up, a little bit less with my daughters, all right, not that they don't love Legos, but I haven't stepped on as many most recently. The most frustrating thing is not stepping on Legos, but not having the proper piece that will allow the whole creation to fit together, and it constantly falls apart. That's, you know, if there's one thing that el- the elders wrestle with, it's like, oh, that our pieces would fit together well. When we're missing that piece, or that piece is not working well, it's, it causes us to stay up late at night, talking late into the night, discussing as to how we will help those pieces fit together well. That's the sweetness of seeing a body build together. Well, there Every part of the body is necessary. Every part of the body must work together because it says they are being fitted and held together by what? By what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. So number three is every part must work properly. You have a spiritual gift that's given and you need to live that out. And when sin is, 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 is ravaging your life, you don't do that well. When you're, atten- when you're inattentive, when you, when you aren't part of the body. And again, as I said before, and we'll say next week, we have, we have official structures but remember, it is not the youth ministry and the elderly ministry and the rest home ministry that are the structures. No, this is underlying. You are the structure. Relationships are the structure, not the official ministries of the church. Don't make that mistake. So I'm not saying, look, we need more people doing sound ministry. We probably do. But we need more people engaging and connecting, using their gifts with one another. It all starts there. The elders try to help put a particular superstructure on the underlying structure, but that's what Paul's talking about, the underlying structure, not the various ministries of the church. That can come in a thousand different ways, but we must connect together. Every part working properly, and this does what? Back to our love. Every part then will grow in love. This causes the growth of the body. What? For the building up of itself. That doesn't mean apart from Christ. It's been very clear. You're not just you know, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It's not saying that. The building up of itself in love is that the church grows when we speak the truth in love because we're tightly connected to Christ and we're tightly and, and clearly drawing everything from Christ and then we're strong. We are built up in this love, this longing to see others looking like Jesus. Philippians 1.9, and this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in emotion and all excitement. Well, it doesn't say that. I don't remember Fabian saying that. No, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. That's love. Truth expressed through a heart that longs to sacrifice for others to see them looking like Jesus. Growth is caused by life, not activity. This church is not going to grow because we have more 
programs. It is going to grow because there is more spiritual life flowing through the individual members of the body who are the joints and ligaments, who are all of the necessary organs. We will not grow if there is not life. No ministry, no set of things that a church does will ever be effective if there is not life flowing through its veins. The life of Christ as expressed in truth and lived out in love. Several things to consider then this morning. Does your life hold forth the truth in every way, from speaking to living? Is there any area where your life is not perfectly aligned with the truth that you know? Any place it is, the body is harmed if it is not well aligned. Are are your words and actions continually motivated by love? The affectional delight in seeing others conform to the image of Christ. Is that why you speak? Is that why you live? So that others will look like Jesus because that makes Jesus look great. And that's your one passion, right? That's the one passion of every believer, to make Jesus look great, that he fills all things. Are your prayers and energies directed to seeing that the church is growing in every aspect of the Christian life? Are you in enough contact with the members of the body of Christ that you're a true joint, a true ligament, a true connection point? Is the body failing because you aren't connecting? That is, you aren't connecting other people to other people in the body, not just plugging in on Sunday morning or showing up to one particular thing. You're a connection point through which the energy and life of the body flow. Are you exercising your giftedness in maximum extent in your contact with the body of Christ? And is this entire body being built up in love so that what you are doing as an expression of the very love of Christ for his people. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the powerful truth expressed in your word, that you are truth and you are also love. Lord, I thank you for your delight in us. Apart from anything that we could have done or could ever have been that would send your son to die for us, to live and speak the truth so that we might be in right relationship with you, Lord, help us to live that love out that love that you have spread abroad, shed abroad in our hearts by the Spirit of God. Father, help us to live it out. Help us to sacrifice of ourselves so that others would look like you because we delight in them, because they they are a part of our fond affection. And Father, as that happens, I pray that we would be a city on a hill, not because of our name or because of our activity, but because of our speaking the truth in love. In your precious name, Lord Jesus, amen.